So good to be back together in the house of the Lord, and especially thank you, worship team. I think uh, one of the things that I've missed the most is to be able to worship together with God's people. I bring you greetings from our district superintendent, uh, Curtis Peters. So I don't know if you've had the privilege of having him in your pulpit, in your pulpit yet. Um, but uh, it's an honor that you are one of our family of churches. We're a family of churches, and you are one of our churches. And so it's a great honor to, uh, to come and to be in your midst, but just that you would know that you're part of a broader uh, part of the body of Christ. It's also a great honor for me to, uh, to congratulate uh, Pastor Daniel, I don't know, oh, there you are right there, in his uh, new position here. So uh, I have known Daniel since he was about this high, and uh, I didn't work in the nursery or anything like that, so, so he's safe. Um, I, there's a bit of an echo here, I don't know if... And uh, I remember the very beginning when I started uh, at First Alliance Church, Daniel's father was on the elders board, and he was our treasure. And you know, most of the time when you have a treasure on the elders board and there's financial struggles, the first thing they say is, guess what? Cut back the expenses. But the very first thing Daniel's dad would tell us, would tell the elders board was, you need to set aside time to fast and pray. So from having listened to your sermon from last week, you were called to fast and pray this last week so the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. It's an exciting time to be in the body of Christ. Don't doubt for a moment that God has determined that you should be here as part of his church in this COVID season. The scripture says that God determined the exact times set for us and the places in history that he would place us in order that we might most find him. And so as we gather together as the body of Christ, it is such a mistake if all we are thinking is, how are we going to look back to get what we had before? God is doing something new in his church, and you and I get to be a part of it. And one of the things God is asking us to do is to focus our attention on him because he is building his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. COVID is not going to prevail against it. Jesus Christ is returning and he's returning for a bride who has faith believing in him. You know, I sometimes say, Jesus isn't coming back for a wimpy bride. He's coming back for Wonder Woman. And you and I get to be part of that. And so I'm so excited that you as a church has set aside time in this season to begin on your knees. To begin on your knees. I was so encouraged as I looked in the history of your church, and I don't know if you're like me, often I don't check my own website. But, you know, when, uh, when you are, are going to speak in a church, it's not a bad idea, if any of you are out there speakers, it's not a bad idea to kind of check the website and find out who they are. And this is what I found in your website. The history of this church began in prayer. God cast the vision for a church in Unionville, Ontario, into the heart of a young 
Scottish woman living in the area. She began to pray for the church that did not yet exist. But after 25 years of praying faithfully, a small church was founded. 25 years of praying faithfully. Any young men or women here in the church? Has God put a burden in your heart? Some of you have been in this church for years and you've been praying things for years. And I want to say to you that God hears every prayer and he's going to bring them about and he's calling us to persevere. He's calling us to push forward. As I went on in your website, it talked about in keys in transition times. Prayer was still the place that you would go. A group gathered in Unionville Public School before they even moved into this building. And what does it say? The congregation entered into an incredible time of waiting on God. If there was ever a time to pray, it is now. And you know, one of the greatest gifts that COVID has given to the church is he has set us afresh on our knees. In some ways, COVID has been a bit like, you know, Jesus came into the temple and he turned things upside down. COVID has done that. And what did he say? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And one of the reports that we're getting back from leaders is that one of the areas in our churches that is growing is the prayer before where we could only get a few people in our meetings, now the meetings are packed what, mainly in Zoom, but that's okay. So this morning we want to look into God's Word. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, I want to encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we want to look into the lives of one of these sacred texts of a prayer, an ancient prayer, and look for the modern lessons that God has for us. You know, if you want to get, if you really want to find out how someone's, where someone's walk with God is, listen to them pray. You know, those of you parents, you've got uh, your, your daughter says, hey, I'm bringing this guy over for dinner, you know, and you're not like sure about him, ask him to pray. When you listen to someone pray, you can discern very clearly if they know their God or are they just reciting a mantra. And so we get the absolute privilege this morning of kind of eavesdropping on Nehemiah's prayer. And in order to fully dissect this passage, we have to unpack a little bit of the history of it, and then we want to get in deeper to look for the lessons. And so one of the things that we see in order to fully understand this, we need a bit of a history map. You see, the story of Nehemiah, it just kind of starts with him, cold turkey. We don't know anything about Nehemiah until this first starts. This chapter, chapter one, Nehemiah. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know, uh, it's most likely he wasn't married. We don't know about him. But what we do know is there was a history, and I want to just back it up a little bit so we fully understand the history. As you know, the children of Israel had one God, Jehovah, the same God that we worship. And God is a jealous God. He wants 
to only be your only God. And so that was right from the beginning. That was what was given to Israel, that you are to have no other gods besides me. And so Israel sets out, and you'll see on the map, you have Saul coming, and he anoints David to be king, or anoints Saul to be king, and then David, and then there's a divided kingdom. And throughout this journey, repeatedly, the children of Israel are in this passage, where, passage posture where they're walking away from God. And God, in his grace, takes them back, and then they step away again, and this continues until finally they get to the place where they don't want anything to do with their God. And what does God say? He says, okay, I will give you over to the gods that you want to worship. You go ahead. You go. You want to worship the Babylonian God? Then, then here you go. And so what happens? Babylon comes in and destroys, burns down the city of Jerusalem, tears down the wall, destroys the temple, and takes out all of the Israelites and takes them back to Babylon. And that is what occurs right there at uh, 606 B.C. In the, in the map that's there in front of you. And they are in exile for 70 years. 70 years. That's like two generations of people. And then gradually the restoration process begins. First there's Zerubbabel. Cyrus, the king, Persian king, gives him permission to come and take some of the Babylonians and take them back to the land of Israel to begin to first build back up the temple. And then it's something like 50 years later, another king allows Ezra to come and to restore back the, the cultural understanding of how the gospel and the truths of God's word were to be part of their culture, that they they were to be a people who lived according to the word. And then the story of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah comes on the scene something like 160 years after the exile. That's almost like five generations of people. So most likely Nehemiah's parents they were exiled four, five generations of them exiled into Babylon. We don't know if any of them were part of the remnants that went back. All we know is that here is Nehemiah in the king's court as a cupbearer. He's in the king's court as a cupbearer. You know, devastation. When we're calling on God to fix things, Often things take much longer to get fixed than we would like. You know, one of the things that if we, in these days, I don't know if you're in, someone who listens to the news, I'm getting to the point where I don't even want to watch the news again because it's just one more crisis after the next. But you know, one thing that they don't report back to us is they don't circle back and tell us how they are doing to rebuild from the last one. So, you know, how many years ago there was a Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico? Wiped out the nation of Puerto Rico. Three years later, there's stories of people that are still waiting for a roof over their heads. They just have a tarp. And then COVID hits. These are difficult circumstances. This was the kind of thing that Israel was up against, where there had been total devastation. How do you pray into that? 
Some of you have had personal crises that have happened to you that have destroyed your life. And it's been year after year after year, and you're like, how do I press forward in this situation? Lord, is there still a God? Lord, do you still make a difference? And the story of Nehemiah is one to give us hope. To give us hope that there is a God who is still on our side, even 160 years after the devastation. And so we want to look this morning at some of the, the things that we see in the person of Nehemiah and then also look at his prayer life. And one of the first things we see in our pathway forward is that Nehemiah knew he was a favored child of God. Repeatedly, he would say, the gracious hand of the Lord rests upon me. The gracious hand of the Lord rests upon me. Now, in light of the history that I've just shared with you, it would have been very easy for Nehemiah to kind of have a victim spirit. Us poor Jews, we're really, we've had it rough, five generations. But that isn't the posture in Nehemiah's mind. He's a favored child. You know what's amazing? Probably most of you have quoted this verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you hope, plans to give you an expected end. You know when that verse was given to Israel? In the middle of the 70-year exile. God is saying to them, guys, I know you screwed up. I know you left me. I know you would really prefer other gods, but I want you to know that I love you, and these are my plans for you, and God's plans for us is always, always, always for our good. Some of you are here, some of you are watching online, and you're like, I have screwed up so bad, there's no pathway back, and that's a lie from the pit, because God loves you. He has a plan for you, and he's wanting you to step into that place of living as a favored child of God. I love Romans chapter 10, verse 21. This is the posture. You know, God never stands in front of you like this and says, get your act together and then come talk to me. That is never his posture towards you. Look at this in Romans chapter 10, verse 21. All day long, I have held my hands out to a disobedient and an obstinate people. All day long. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of the gospel, the outreach that we are called to do is not to go around and tell everybody they're going to hell. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. Our job is to come and to tell them that God loves them. And that what did Jesus say? Is that the year of the Lord's favor for you is here. I think, isn't it amazing that as COVID hit, what was the song that the Spirit of God downloaded into his church to go across the airwaves, right across the world? The Lord bless you and keep you. God wanted to speak blessing over us. We are a favored people. We are a favored people. So here's Nehemiah. 
His heart is still with his people. Five generations back, he's still carrying this burden. But he's kind of stuck because he works for the king. And might sound like an interesting position, but he's most likely a slave. In fact, he's most likely a eunuch, which means he was castrated. So not only could he not have a family, he wouldn't even desire to have a family, and that was what, what royalty did in those days to keep their servants in close. So the basic message was, you are loyal to one person, and that's me. So here's Nehemiah. And his job is to be the wine taster for the king. Well, some of you might think, wow, that's not a bad job. I'm sure it's not LCBO wines, you know, it's probably top of the line royalty that only kings drink. But there was a catch. At any point in time, someone might choose to take out the king. And one of the safest, easiest ways was to poison the wine. And so what was Nehemiah's job? Right before he would give the wine to the king, he always had to taste it. Life and death job, I'd say. And I'm sure there were times where Nehemiah was like, I hate this job. I want to get out of here. But you know what? He was faithful. He was faithful to the place that he was appointed. And God calls us, even in the midst of crisis and difficult times, to be faithful where he has placed us. Because you see, Nehemiah was such a faithful follower that when the time came where he needed to ask the king for a favor, the king trusted him and knew he was for him and knew he was responsible and faithful. And I'm sure there's some of you right now here or looking online and you're like fed up with your job or your school or you just want to pack up and go to Bahamas or something. I don't know. You're fed up. And God is saying, hang in there. Be faithful where he has called you. If he calls you out, then you step out. Otherwise, you be faithful to where the Lord has called you. One of my favorite quotes is by a man by the name of F.B. Meyer. He says, one blow struck in God's timing is worth a thousand of premature eagerness. One blow struck in God's timing is worth a thousand of premature eagerness. And so what happens in this story, here's Nehemiah, he's just tasting his wine, going about his business, and then a delegation comes from Jerusalem. And according to Josephus, most likely Nehemiah wouldn't have been in the room when they're sharing, but out in the hallways, he grabbed one of these guys, his brother aside, and he says, hey, how are things going? He wanted to get, find out. And so he finds out that things are not going great. In, 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 on the opposite, things are going terrible. And you know what we see clearly in Nehemiah's story? He doesn't immediately jump in to try and fix it with a quick solution. He goes to his knees. If you want an effective Christian life, you need to live it on your knees. And I'm not talking about you know, some kind of just mantra praying. This is in communion with Almighty God. When you look in the history of Israel, 
repeatedly when they inquired of God and waited on God, they always, always were successful. They always were pressing into the fullness of what God had for them. When they went ahead with their own plans without consulting, they ran into trouble. So what do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the meantime when you're in a place where you feel like you're in a dead-end job or you're stuck where you're at and it isn't going forward? Well, you keep your heart pliable to God. You still stay in this posture of having your heart soft to God. How does that happen? You know, in our North American world, it's pretty hard with all of our focus on comforts and me, our humanitarian or our humanistic focus where we are just focused on I'm the center of my universe, what gradually begins to happen is our hearts begin to grow hard and we listen to the news and it doesn't even touch us anymore. And one of the things we need to be praying is, God, will you break my heart with what breaks yours? You see, Nehemiah's job, probably the hardest thing in the job, was perhaps the biggest gift to him because every day his life was on the line. Every day his life was on the line. What does Paul say to the Christian? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Some of you in this COVID season, you've been first responders. You've been daily going to work and living with the reality that death might be there today. How do you move forward in that posture? God's called you there. There's a certain sense, you know, Henry Nouwen, one of the things that he said is when you're facing death, you're more alive than any other time. You don't care what color the kitchen is. You don't care what car you're going to buy. All of a sudden, there's an aliveness that comes into you. And I love what J.O. Fraser, one of the Canadian missionaries that went to the Lisu Chinese, he made this great quote. He said, a Christian is immortal until their work is done. If you're surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody can take you out until it's your time to go. And in the meantime, you want to be focused not on death. You want to be focused on what has God called you to do, and you want to be faithful to press in to do it. And so what do we see with Nehemiah? His prayer life. All of this... You know, he gets this urgent need. And his first response is he says he wept, he mourned, he fasted. And you know, what's really fascinating about this passage is if you look in the first verse in the month of Kislev, which was around November or December in the year, and then if you go to the first verse in chapter 2 in the month of Nisan, which was March or April, there's about a four to six month window here before he actually steps out and does anything. And what that suggests to me is in that four to six month period, Nehemiah was wrestling in prayer. 
You know, what would you do if your senior pastor came up here and said, guys, I think we need to spend the next six months wrestling in prayer? Whoa. Would we do that? Now, Nehemiah was kind of stuck in this situation, but he's wrestling in prayer. And I believe that, you know, when we get to this prayer that is, is crafted, that we're going to look at in a few moments, he says, you know, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, then I said, I want to suggest to you that a healthy prayer life includes a lot of angst, a lot of wrestle, a lot of sticking your fists up to God and saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? Why have you allowed me in this? That is part of the conversation God wants to have with each one of us because God wants to come to us. He wants us to come to him in authenticity. He wants you to come to him with complete sincerity. And one of the things we often encourage people to do is journal. Start journaling your prayers. And this is a journal that nobody else gets to look at, okay? Mom and dads, don't go digging in your kid's journal. Just a side there. Those are sacred space that's only between that person and God. And as you wrestle through your prayers, and as you wrestle through your prayers, God drops scripture into your spirit, and he gives you things to hold on to. And I love what Graham Cook says. He has a book actually called Crafted Prayer. And it's basically this sense of you've wrestled with God, you've got some promises from God, and then you begin to write that, deduce that, write that into a little prayer, and then you start saying, this is what God has said to me, and this is what I'm standing on, and this is what I'm moving forward for. And I believe that's a little bit of the prayer that's in front of us here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, okay, I've wrestled this through to the ground. I've mourned, I've fasted, and now this is what I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make this declaration into the heavenly realms. And what are the things that he prays? Well, really, there's four things in this wrestle that need to be renewed. And one of the first things that happens when you're in a crisis and you're in a struggle, one of the first things that you're going to experience is your vision of God is going to be renewed. You read this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Nehemiah's like, that's who I'm praying to. That's my God. I belong to a God who's faithful, who's trustworthy, who keeps his covenants. You know, it's in crisis. It's in crisis where we experience the supernatural power and presence of God. If you're in a struggle right now, you have full permission to go before God and wrestle it out, but also be fully expecting that his presence is going to come and you're going to get access to his power in a new and fresh way. You know, people who have been in, put in prison for their faith, one of the things that they come out and share at the end, they say, when I was in prison, the presence of God was so thick that I actually missed it and almost wanted to be back there because I wanted that sense of his manifest presence with me. I remember my mom having to have brain surgery, having to have a tumor the size of a golf ball taken out of her brain. 
And I remember her sharing with me, she's on the stretcher ready to go into the surgery. And she said, I had absolute peace. That's not natural. That's supernatural. And brothers and sisters, God is calling us as a body of Christ to wrestle through things, to get to the place where we're living in the supernatural presence and power of God. That is our right as Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I start walking in, this, in the presence and the power of God, you start glowing in your neighborhood. You won't see the glow, just like Moses didn't see the glow on his face, but your neighbors are starting to recognize and they will be drawn to us. God hasn't just put us here just to do church. God has put us here because there's a job to do, to reach a lost world, and it starts with a renewed vision of who our God is. And then the next thing we see is there's a renewed vision of who we are. I love what Nehemiah says here. Let your ear be attentive, verse 6, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you night and day. Your servant. You know, he's not coming from a posture of entitlement telling God, hey, I'm your kid, you better. Through this wrestling and through his struggling, he's come into this posture of, that he's a servant of God, but he's not a slave. He's a servant of God, and he still has freedom to speak his mind to his God and come eagerly and demand, but not from a posture of entitlement, from a posture of humility, of humility. And what's the next thing that he does? He owns his part. You know, he could easily look back and say, well, man, generations back my, in my family, they blew it. And now I'm just living in the consequences and it really is not great. But what does he say in this prayer? He says, I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family. He's not responsible for those sins, but he's acknowledging them have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. I don't think we will ever run out of stuff to repent for. You know, I say to people that my full-time job is repentance and the job that I do with the ECD is extracurricular activities. And it's not because God wants us to grovel, but there's this sense of my heart is naturally bent against what God wants. And so every single time I come to pray, I'm not coming digging up old stuff, but I come to a holy God through Christ. And I want to be open. Lord, is there anything in my heart? Some of you have shared with Pastor Daniel in this week of fasting, it was pretty tough on you. Because when we're fasting and we're putting aside some of the comforts, stuff starts coming up. And often it's stuff that we need to repent for. And repentance is just honoring God for who he is. Almighty God. Almighty God. And then he moves into an amazing part in the prayer. He says, okay, God, I've done my part. I've shared that I messed up. I repent for my part. 
But look at what you said to us. He says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, he's like, that's me, God. I'm right here. I'm returning, and I'm obeying your commands. Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, God, you promised you said you would gather from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants. He's reminding God, they are your servants. They are your people. You made these promises to, him, to them and you've delivered them before. Will you do it again? Powerful part of the prayer. You know, this isn't a book that we just do our daily quiet time from. This is living, inspired word of God, the breath of God. Every single time you open this book, when God brought things to life, he gave them breath that meant they kept breathing, and the living word of God keeps breathing. Every time you open it, God has something for you because he wants to commune with you. He wants to commune with you. And if you're not experiencing that, then have someone pray for you or ask the Lord to break off whatever it is. I'm going to take a few moments at the end of this just to pray for, just to pray over anybody who wants prayer. Because we need to come expectant that this is the food that God is going to give us that's going to fully nourish us and prepare us for the struggles that are ahead. And out of that amazing prayer time, it would seem very clearly that Nehemiah gets some instructions. What he's supposed to do, now's the time, brother. I want you to go to the king. Here's the list of things I want you to ask for. I want you to ask for a leave of absence. Remember, he's kind of a slave. Uh, uh, you know, and, and just because you have an amazing prayer life, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I was very much afraid. But he stepped out in obedience as we walk in submission to the Spirit, as we're connecting with Him, there's still going to be times where you're going to feel wobbly, but you walk in obedience and you step into it, and God is always true to His Word. So back to Unionville Alliance. Back to your website where it says, from humble beginnings to where we are now. What will be your part in the next chapter of Unionville Alliance Church. Realizing that that doesn't mean just all the activities that happen in the building. You see, Unionville Alliance Church is in the hospitals. It's in the schools. It's in the businesses. You've got the cooks here. They're representing the global world. You guys are everywhere. And as you are on your faces before God, one of the things you need to be asking him is, Lord, burden my heart with what burdens yours. And then in prayer, we come before the Lord and we say, God, what is it you want me to do? Show me a fresh vision of who you are. Move us together so that we can make a difference for your name. God is looking for people who stand up as favored children, who are faithful where they are called who are flexible in the hands of God, who are fervent in prayer and who are willing to follow him where he leads. Just going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. 
And if God has been speaking to you in this morning, you need some kind of jump start into your walk with God or into your quiet time or into your prayer life, I'm just going to ask you to stand. You don't need to come forward or anything. If God has been speaking to you and you need a fresh touch from God, I'm just going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we worship you. We bless you, Lord. We come before you, Father, as your favorite children, but we don't even fully understand what that means. And so, Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would just come right now in Jesus' name. And for each person that stood here, I pray that you would lift off of them whatever might be blocking them from going deep into the things of God. Lord, thank you that there's nothing we've been through, there's no wrong decision we've made that is in, not redeemable in your name. And so, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, I pray a fresh blessing upon this church. Lord, I thank you for that dear woman who prayed faithfully for 25 years. God, give us that kind of tenacity that we would pray with fervence, Lord, believing. And for some of us, Lord, who've held on to prayers and we haven't seen the results, Lord, give us fresh wind to press in and to pray, believing that we will receive. And, Father, we pray all this. In the mighty name of Jesus, never ever wanting to take for granted the gift of the cross. Lord, we lift you up. We worship you. We declare into the heavenly realms that there is no God but the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help us. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.